0: Thank you, Rick and Nancy. Turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. I don't know how many times we've read over this passage of Scripture and looked at it and preached from it through the years. But it's a familiar passage to help us keep our bearings, to get on track and to stay on track amidst countless distractions, I want to read this passage of scripture and look at it tonight to kind of put things in a biblical perspective of what we heard this morning from Brother Chris. And of course, the ABS ministry and the ABS ministry, of course, it's an obvious response to the collection of uh, college students up there. And we've had this ministry for decades But there's some biblical principles that are at play here, and there are a lot of similarities of the opportunities we have up there and what we see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven Will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now look in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and set on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then were they all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Let's pray together, please. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it puts our work into perspective. May we never lose the perspective of the work you give us to do as a church and our place as individuals in your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. They had a clear and specific pat, uh, task, and we point to this quite uh, often because we don't want to lose sight of exactly what the priorities are in our church, and that is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the last part of that passage of scripture, we zero in on quite often. Because we want to make sure we keep our priorities in perspective. The church does a lot of things, and I'm glad. The church provides a lot of, of, of services to people, and I'm glad. In that we minister to people when it comes to needs and grief and hurt and pain. And there's a lot of ministries that go on. But through all of these, the one clear focus is we would be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you reach the world, more or less, but start right here. Now, starting here is easy to visualize, but not so easy to do sometimes. But it is easy to visualize, and it's easy to get our mind around the fact that we have work to do here. But even the work that we do here could be a daunting task. There are a lot of people around here who need Jesus. And he says, you start in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You be witnesses to me to the people who are no cl- closest to you, the people you rub shoulders with every day. Be witnesses to those. But then he says, And you'll be witnesses all the way to the end of the earth. Now, for a young Jewish man who had never really left the region of the Holy Land, what we call, just traveled around with Jesus to some of the Jewish towns... Going to these places like Samaria and to the end of the earth was almost an impossible task. And they're looking at each other and it's obvious all of them had similar backgrounds and all of them were from small towns and none of them knew a foreign language and they were wondering how are we going to reach these people at the end of the earth? And then God uses a holiday to help them out. And God uses other Things to help us out to fulfill this task. You know, God helps them see that He can clearly solve our impossible challenges. And the impossible challenge was to reach the end of the earth with the gospel of Christ. And so, on the day that they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit more or less flushed them out, it was the day of Pentecost. It was a holiday. Now, Pentecost means 50th. It's 50 days after the Passover. In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, 50 days after the Passover, celebrates two things. It celebrates Moses receiving the law from Mount Sinai. So they celebrated the fact that that's when God gave them the law More than just the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments were were included in that. But secondly, it was an agricultural holiday where they celebrated the first barley crop. And of course, it was a Thanksgiving day. On the altar, they offered two loaves of barley bread to thank the Lord for a safe and successful harvest. So now we know what the holiday was. There's the what, and then you say, well, what's the so what? What? Well, the so what is God accomplished some things that these guys never could accomplish on their own. First of all, because it was the day of Pentecost, people from all over the world had come to town. There was a law that all Jewish men within 20 miles from Jerusalem must attend this feast. So now you have in Jerusalem all of the adult Men within 20 miles of Jerusalem. So we understand, he said, you're witnesses to me to those in Jerusalem. So he's got the here part covered, right? And then people from all over the world came here. Remember this, this was after the Passover, 50 days. We know what happened during the Passover. That's when Jesus was crucified and was risen. Now here's another holiday The law required also that no regular work was to be done on this day. You can find this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 21. It says, no customary work. So now here we have God telling the disciples, you start here to be witnesses for me, and then your witness needs to go to the end of the earth. And lo and behold, 50 days later, or or thereabouts, Uh, Really, it was actually about 10 days later. Pentecost comes, and people from all over the world are in Jerusalem. And since they can't do any work on that day, they've got time on their hands. They're not at work. They're in the streets. They've got time on their hands. And if you notice, when they heard the sound of the rushing and mighty wind, they all headed in that direction. You know, they must have lived in South Arkansas. Everybody loves to see the tornado when it comes. So they heard this big wind, and everybody headed in that direction. So now you have people from all over the world. You've got their attention. They've got time to listen, and only God could accomplish that. Now, what's that got to do with us? Well, here we have our task to reach people all over the world. Well, I don't know how many of us will ever go all over the world. Some of you may have never even left Arkansas. I'm not sure. Many may not have left the country. But lo and behold, here comes SAU. SAU was started as an institution of higher learning. Started out as an agricultural school, Magnolia a and Now, instead of Brother Chris having to travel to 15 different countries, Students from 15 different countries are coming to him. And if they are from 15 different countries, that means that they don't commute to and from their home like a lot of students around here. They live on campus. And if you live on campus, Southern Arkansas University, most likely if you're an international student, you don't have a job. So now we have students with time on their hand, and they are gathered together On that campus, God has brought the ends of the world into Columbia County for us to spread the gospel to. Isn't that something? We're all thinking that perhaps in in order to do this, we're going to have to either go to the ends of the earth. And a lot of times we pay missionaries to go to the ends of the earth, and that's good. But the ends of the earth have come here. And they've come here, and God has accomplished the impossible for our church in Columbia County, Arkansas to reach international students. And then when they leave here they'll most likely go back home. They'll go back home with the education of SAU but a lot of them will go back home with the gospel story to tell because they were touched with the ministry of the ABS. You see, God provides for us the opportunity and then he provides for us the ability to do his work because it's too big for us to do on our own strength so we understand of course the holy spirit fell upon them and, and cloven or divided tongues of fire sat upon each one of them and we look at this and we say that experience is totally unreachable to us today So we think about the Holy Spirit and we think about, of course, what the Holy Spirit did for them. And we think this is something that happened a long time ago and that experience can't help me now. But look a little closer at what the work of the Spirit will do for us in chapter 4, verse 31. Chapter 4, verse 31. Here they are again praying in one building. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this. They spoke the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and we don't need to run from that. The Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that same Holy Spirit is alive and dwells in us today. But what did it do for them? They left the building from which they were praying, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, when they spoke the word of God with boldness, what were they doing? They were fulfilling the task that God had given them to be witnesses. And as soon as they left that building in the upper room and they spoke the word of God, where were they? In Jerusalem. And you know, sooner or later, some of them would be scattered And they would be scattered all over the world. So we realize they needed strength that can only come from the Holy Spirit. And God gives us the opportunity to share the gospel, whether it be here or way out there. And then he gives us the ability to speak the word of God with boldness. And we're going to need it in the world in which we live. So let's look at the elements of the message. In the book of Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter got up and preached a message. And there's really three things about this message. First of all, he started off with the Old Testament prophets. Why did he do that? The message we preach has to be in accordance with the word. What he was saying is the things that we're preaching and the things that we're telling you are all in keeping with God's word. And God's word at that time was the Old Testament. And he lined it all up and he kept it within the framework of the word that's our framework now there's a lot of trends there's a lot of new thoughts going around there's not a lot of new fads regardless of what wind comes and goes and blows and what things change with cultures and with societies and all our witness must stay within the framework of the word of god it cannot change with the winds of political change or cultural change or moral diversions that come along so we realize the message we have is anchored to the word then of course the message we have must include the fact that jesus christ has come in verse 22 men in chapter 2 verse 22 men of israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst and you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you've taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that we would he would be held by it in verse 32 This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Our message has to say this. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and Jesus Christ is alive today. That's our message. There's nothing complicated about it. What am I going to tell them? Jesus Christ came and lived and died. But notice twice, he says, and God has raised him up. That's the message. But then, thirdly, there is a personal opportunity for salvation. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What did he offer to them? He offered to them the personal opportunity for salvation. He said, Repent. They were convicted. And what did he say? Oh, it's going to be okay. That's not what he said. He said repent. That talks about the reality of sin. But he says salvation is available through Jesus Christ. But by saying repent, he also issued to them their personal responsibility For decision. We have to make sure. As we share Jesus with others. That we first of all. Have recognized recognize. Our personal responsibility for decision. But to impart to others. Jesus Christ. Came. Lived. Died. Rose again. For you to be able to be saved. Now you are responsible for your decision. And let them decide. Can't make the decision for them and we can't convict. All we can do is spread the seed. All we can do is spread the word. But we have a clear pattern here. Keep it in focus. A lot to keep us distracted. A lot of things going on. A lot of activities going on that the church does. But the focus and the priority is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. To be faithful to the gospel message and God will provide for us the opportunities that we need and the strength that we require to do his work. Is there anything before we close?